Well, good morning. Welcome to Jacksonville Prez. If you would, let's stand for the scripture reading this morning. If this is your first Sunday here, welcome. Uh, we don't believe anybody is here by accident. Uh, if, you're in, if you've been with us, though, you'll know that we have been working through the Old Testament, one book of the Old Testament per week. And that brings us this week to about halfway through our whole series, and we're into the book of Psalms. Uh, so while you grab your Bibles, uh, open up to Psalm 77. And while you're flipping through your Bibles, I'm going to invite all the kids out this side door for Jump Start with Miss Joy. You guys will be back at the end of the service. So kiddos, head out. Uh, if you don't have a print Bible, there are print Bibles on that back wall. I'd love for you to go grab one. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 77 today. Uh, in the whole series, I'm trying to give an overview of every book, but something like the book of Psalms is pretty difficult because there's 150 psalms, and they're all uh, pretty much a standalone psalm. But today we're going to be looking at a lament, Psalm 77, as just sort of an introduction to how I think you maybe could read these books. Uh, also, remember, we're in a different uh, part of the Old Testament. We're calling it... Uh, uh, you know, whole, uh, but the Old Testament would call it sort of wisdom literature. So uh, if you look around, there's like purple here and purple on the slides. That's just supposed to help you remember we're in a different section called wisdom literature, which is Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So we're into Psalms today. So with that in mind, hopefully you flipped open to your Bible to Psalm 77, and let's hear God's word. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. But then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Or his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron." Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open as we pray together? Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit who is among us, to the glory of God the Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that everyone in this room would recover their spiritual vitality, myself included. Father, would we hear what the book of Psalms has to say to us? And Holy Spirit, would you give us ears and eyes to see? In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Are you anybody who's ever gotten the yips? Anyone here ever known somebody who's gotten the yips? You know what the yips is? Uh, anyone here an athlete? Anybody play high school baseball? Anyone a high school athlete in the room? You can raise your hand. Anyone here a high school athlete or was one at one point? Uh, well, Rick Ann Keel was a great pitcher. He was a great pitcher until he got the yips. Rick Ann Keel was a phenom as a teenager. Uh, you know, anybody here in high school a college prospect or a pro prospect? Or anybody uh, back in the day, were you a high school athlete prospect? Uh, well, everybody at Rick Ann Keel's high school knew that he was just born for this. Rick Ann Keel, when he graduated high school, was able to skip college and go straight into the minor leagues. Uh, when he graduated high school in 1998, the St. Louis Cardinals, go Cards, anybody a Cardinals fan like me? The St. Louis Cardinals paid him. That's all right. Didn't expect anybody. <laughs> Don't worry. Well, I got one. I got one. That's great. There's two of us. Few are called, right? Few are chosen. <laughs> Rick Ann Keel out of high school in 1998 was given a two and a half million dollar signing bonus. He's a millionaire before he was 20. Uh, he was drafted in the second round, and after his first year in the minor leagues, he was voted the best minor league pitcher by several news outlets, including USA Today. So, of course, the big leagues came calling because the Cardinals were in the postseason. And sure enough, something strange happened. Two innings in, everything was great. He had allowed no hits. But then, in the third inning, Rick Ankeel famously, in front of the whole world, got the yips. In the third inning, with no explanation, Rick Ankeel could not throw a strike. He allowed four runs, walked five batters, and threw five wild pitches which means the catcher couldn't even catch them. They were so bad. <laughs> in fact, it was such a bad inning that the last time a pitcher had had that bad of an outing, it had been 1890. You know, baseball players and their stats, right? In his next start against the Mets, Rick Ann Keel had joked off, you know, his bad performance. And sure enough, in the first inning against the New York Mets, pitching on the mound, Rick Ankeel couldn't make it through the first inning. He threw 20 pitches total, and five times he threw five more wild pitches that the catcher couldn't catch. Uh, pretty soon, Rick Ankeel would never pitch in the majors again. Can you imagine the terror <laughs> that Rick Ankeel was experiencing? Have you ever gotten the yips? Uh, have you ever gotten so sideways or stuck in your head that you can't even function to do the normal things that you know how to do? You know, have you ever gotten so stuck in your head that you can't even pick up your Bible, go to church, sing a worship song? Have you ever gotten the spiritual yip so bad you don't even want to talk about spiritual stuff? It's like you reach for it and it's just not there. Uh, you try to articulate it. there's nothing to say. Ever gotten the yips? Have you ever gotten so fixated on your circumstances, hurts that you have, disagreements that you've had with other people that you just freeze? You know, we always talk about flight and fright, you know? What about freeze? What do you do when you've lost your spiritual vitality? What do you do with the yips? 
Anybody felt that terror? Maybe I'll never get back. Maybe church will never be like it was. Maybe I'll never love Jesus. Maybe I'll never be able to sing a worship song like I used to. Maybe this was just all in my head. Well, friends, what I want to suggest to you this morning is that Psalm 77 is a case of the yips. And it teaches us, if we have eyes to see it, how to break through and to recover from a loss of our spiritual vitality. You know what that word means? It's your life. It's that energy. And what we see in Psalm 77 is we see a very talented man, a guy who was born to do this, but he can't. Look at Psalm 77. Now, Psalm 77 was written by a man named Asaph. And if you study the Bible, you may remember vaguely that a lot of the Psalms were written by whom? Who wrote a lot of the Psalms? King David, right? Well, King David was a great worship leader. You know, in 1 Chronicles, uh, David is all about organizing worship. Uh, he's the best king in the Old Testament. Uh, but who was David's hand-picked man to lead worship? Who was his hand-picked man? Wasn't David. It was who? Context clues tell you everything. Rick Ann Keel. Yes, no. <laughs> Track with me. It was a man named Asaph. First Chronicles 16 says this, Then David appointed some of the Levites as ministers, and he appointed Asaph to be the chief. Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and Benaiah and Jehaziel were priests that were to blow the trumpets. And on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving was to be sung and to be led by Asaph and his brothers. He was a starting pitcher. He was the ace. He was the best. He was born for this. And everybody in high school knew it. That's what Asaph does. He leads worship. He sings better than everybody. But notice what happens to Asaph. Even though he's the phenom and everybody knows it, he gets the yips. Look at verse 1 through 3 with me. Asaph says this. I, this is the greatest worship leader David could handpick. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearing, but my soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, <laughs> I moan. When I meditate, when I try to read the Bible and think about it, my spirit faints. You see, friends, what we're going to see in Psalm 77 is that what Asaph is going to realize and teach us is that to recover our spiritual vitality, you know, to become who we were meant to be and what we were born to do, we have to recover our ability to remember the great deeds of God. So uh, there's a short outline to Psalm 77. There's four parts. We're going to look at the yips, the terror, the turn, and the story. So let's dive in. What does it mean by the yips? Look at verses 1 through 3 that we just read. What I want you to realize is Asaph is this great worship leader, and he knows God, but where does this section end? Look at verse 3. He says, but when I remember God, I moan and I faint, right? Uh, what uh, Asaph is saying is that even though I'm super spiritual, right, and I go to church and I go to worship all the time, for some reason I have gotten into this headspace where I don't even want to think about him. I don't even want to talk about him. 
And when I do think about them, it just drains me of everything, <laughs> right? The thing that I should be able to do without thinking, I can't even do it. I should be able to at least throw a strike down the plate, but I can't. It's going over the pitcher's head or the catcher's head. So what are we supposed to glean from this man going through the yips? Well, look at verse 1. And I think even now, Asaph is beginning to teach us how to recover our spiritual vitality. Because in verse 1, notice what he says. He says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. And friends, what I love so much about that is he's actually talking about audible prayer. Notice what he says. He says it twice because it's important, right? When you say something twice, it usually shows it's important. He says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God. Uh, one of the ways you sort of recover your spiritual vitality is I think you actually have to start praying in the way that the Bible describes. Uh, you know, there's a famous story that I've told before, but I think it's really helpful. Um, you know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, was arguing uh, one day with a fellow priest about why it was important to pray out loud. And the priest was like, you don't have to pray out loud. And Martin Luther was like, ja, du musst pray out loud. You know, he's German, right? <laughs> Jawohl. That's German, I think. <laughs> and the priest said, no, 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 you don't have to pray out loud. And Martin Luther said, yes, you do. And Martin Luther said, you want to bet on it? He was German after all, right? And he said, I bet you my horse that you can't pray the Lord's Prayer in your head and not get distracted. He said, if you can pray the whole Lord's Prayer and not get distracted, I'll give you my horse. And so the priest, you know, chuckles to himself. He says, oh, I've told, I'm taking your horse, buddy. So he sits down to start praying the Lord's Prayer and mean every word. And then halfway through the prayer, what happens? He thinks, do I get your saddle too? <laughs> he didn't get the horse or the saddle. You know, it's interesting to me that, you know, when we pray, we do it in ways that don't really resonate a lot of times with the way that the Bible depicts it. You know, I think too often we think that we're just sort of brains on sticks, right? Uh, but notice that he is talking about praying out loud. Uh, there is a fundamental difference. I don't know how to say it other than just, I think it's true and scripture speaks to it's true. But I promise you, if you try to pray out loud, it will be different. It will be different than if you just try to pray in your head. Notice also in verse 2 that he says that his posture is going to be somewhat different. Look at verse 2. He says, in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. Uh, you know, uh, Paul, says, Paul says in his dream world that, uh, to Timothy, he says, in my dream world, I would see a worship service where men lifted up holy hands and prayed for the emperor. Right? Uh, we don't have a, a typical uh, understanding of posture, right? but posture is all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, it's all throughout the book of Psalms. Sometimes the psalmist says, I bow down to you. <laughs> and then sometimes I lie prostrate in the dust, which is when you would literally lie face down. And here what he's saying is, I pray with my arms like this. You know, when you and I pray, we kind of go like this. We get real small, and then we kind of look around if anyone's looking, right? <laughs> But notice that you know, all throughout the Psalms, people take different postures because postures mean things. They connect us, right? So like if you were to offer somebody a hug, you do this, right? There's just something to your posture, right? You're not just a brain on a stick. Your spiritual life actually has something to say about your body, and your body matters. Next time you're praying, lie prostrate on the dust. Lift up holy hands when you pray for somebody. Kneel. Uh, don't just always go like this. I mean, how did Jesus pray in the Gospels? It says, Jesus, 
lifting up his eyes to heaven, said, Father, the hour has come. Be glorified in me. Ever prayed with your eyes lifted up instead of down? See, this is part of recovering that spiritual vitality. But it's not about postures, and it's not just about speaking out loud. Those are things that can help, but that's not going to get you recovered spiritually. Because look at verse 3. That's not fixing the problem. Because even when he tries to do that, there's still something missing. He can't throw the strike, right? Something's missing. He's a worship leader who doesn't want to even think about God, (laughs) right? So that descends now into the darkest part of the psalm, right? We see the yips. I should be able to do this spiritual thing, but I just can't. It's like I I literally can't do it. And then, of course, what happens in verse 4 through 9 is the obvious logical consequence follows. I'm not connecting spiritually, so he descends into terror, right? He's terrified by it. Look at verse 4. He says, you hold my eyelids open, right? God, you won't even let me sleep, right? I'm so troubled that I can't even speak. I consider the days of old. I look in my past, you know, look years ago, the years long ago. And then I said, let me remember my song in the night. You know, how great thou art. How great, oh, brother. That's what he says. He tries to remember his favorite worship song. The ones that got him through the dark nights. And what does he say? Then my heart made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever? Never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Uh, Friends, this is the obvious terror that the yips bring on. And the irony is that they make the yips worse, right? It's like when you're being stressed out and anxious, and what does your friend say? Stop stressing out. Stop stressing out. And what do you say? You're making it worse. You can feel yourself going down the dark cycle, right? And look at verse 4. Notice that the way that he thinks about the yips, this sort of loss of spiritual vitality, I used to be able to connect with God, now I don't even want to think about him. The first thing he says is he can't even articulate really what the problem is. Did you see that? Verse 4, I'm staying up late at night, I'm so troubled that I can't even speak. Like, if I try to articulate, if I try to say what's wrong with me, I don't even really know. I don't even know how to talk about it. I just sort of shut down. I don't know how to describe what's going on. It's interesting watching Rick Ann Keel talk about the yips. You can go on YouTube this afternoon if you want to. It's pretty interesting watching someone try to process how to get over the yips. He didn't know how to talk about it, doesn't know who to talk to about it. You know, this reminds me of Proverbs 14, uh, which is oddly one of my favorite Proverbs. And it says, the heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. And I think what the proverb writer is saying, the heart knows its own bitterness and nobody shares its joy, is that there is something about the dark part of life that even your loved ones and your kids and your spouse, they don't really know. They don't really experience it. You alone know the darkness of the night, and you can't really explain it to anybody. And even if you could, it sounds totally cliche. God, you're keeping me up at night. I'm so troubled I can't even speak. I don't even know how to talk to people about it. 
Well, then he does sort of the, what we would think is sort of the practical thing. We'll look at verse 5. What did he do in the face of the yips? He considers the days of old, the years long ago. He thinks, well, I didn't always live like this. I used to be able to connect with God. In my years past, I was able to connect with him. And then in verse 6, he does something that we would all do. In fact, often that's the advice that we would give somebody is we would say, well, what's your favorite worship song? You know, turn on, you know, the Hillsong Spotify playlist and just do like repeat the whole time. Turn the lights down low, you know, dress in neutrals, get the sway going, (laughs) you know, just just vibe out, you know, for a while. Listen to some worship music, right? Anyone ever give you that kind of advice? Read your Bible more. Pray some more. And you say, that's the thing that makes me hate everything. You would think that the worship songs that Mick carried you a lot would help, but what do you do when they don't? What do you do when looking back on your spiritual life makes you more discouraged than encouraged? Because look what happens. Verse 6, he tries to remember his song in the night, but then what does that lead him to? Well, then all he can think about is why is God allowing me to just flail about? And then, of course, you know, verses 7 through 9, that's really the terror, isn't it? He just, it's like this staccato questioning, right? And it maybe isn't the exact questions you have when you've lost your spiritual vitality, but it definitely reveals Asaph's loss of spiritual life. Has God forgotten me? Is he gone? Am I just making all of this up? When I lead worship, are all these people just pretending? Am I just pretending? Is, is God forgetting to be compassionate to me? Is God even real? You know, he's, he's questioning everything, right? That's where the terror leads him. You know, and isn't that interesting? I think it's so interesting. I don't really know uh, if you're going to track with me on this, but the thing that should lead him to comfort, you know, prayer, worship songs, they have like this counterintuitive result where it makes him actually get more anxious, You know, Clarissa Mull is a young widow who has four kids. And this past week, she was writing an article for the Gospel Coalition, which is a website. And the title of her article was, Life is Reopening, But Why Am I Still Sad? You know, the thing that you would think would make you get out of your loss of spiritual life, reopening, right, may actually just be sort of reopening the wound, And if you read her article, she goes on and she talks about how to walk through it, and it's in line with Psalm 77. But I wonder how many of us, even in the midst of reopening, actually don't even have words to describe what's going on internally. And the worship songs and the corporate worship, it won't go down the plate. I throw, and it goes that way. You know, there's an irony, right? Um, I think we need to be really careful about this because we may think that because everything's reopening, everybody's happy again and everything's cool again. Uh, But friends, um, I don't know that that's actually true. Uh, After all, I definitely don't know that's true because only the heart knows its own bitterness. Uh, But keep in mind, uh, you know, medical doctors, ER workers, uh, counselors, they'll know this to be true. When When do suicides peak? We would generally think they would peak when? December. Everything's dark. Christmas, right? We would think suicides peak in December, but when do they actually peak? Well, according to Johns Hopkins, uh, they say that suicides peak in April, May, and June. Interesting. You would think that the time when things should make you happy 
sunshine is actually the time that makes it worse. You would think reopening church would make the problems go away, but what do you do when they don't? And still June, I think until Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, I don't know. <laughs> I was hoping someone was going to go, oh, it's Thursday. <laughs> I don't know if it is. You know, I thought about the suicide thing, you know, I thought the, the two people that I can think of that recently, you know, famously committed suicide uh, were celebrity uh, chef Anthony Bourdain and fashion designer Kate Spade. And interesting, they both took their lives in June. Uh, last year, uh, I think it was something around 30-something percent, maybe even as high as 40 percent, the CDC reported that Americans cited idea ideation of suicide. Forty percent of Americans were thinking about suicide last June. Right? You would think, you would think that now would be a time to be really happy, right? What if it's not? You would think Asaph, the worship leader who was born to do this, could throw a daggum strike, but he can't. The yips, the terror. Now let's look at the turn. Uh, verse 10 to me is probably the most pivotal, important verse in the whole psalm because everything changes. This is the turn in the psalm. Verse 10, Asaph says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. <laughs> the turn in Asaph's life, the pivot that he makes, is he decides he is going to cling to one thing, what God has done in history. <laughs> but notice that it's not actually just in his own personal life. Okay? And this is a big part of the turn. He clings to what God has done in history, in the real world. Look at verse 11. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. And now notice the shift in pronouns. He goes from I, 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 my, 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 to you, your, our. Listen to this. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember what? Your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. Meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Friends, you see the pivot that Asaph starts to make, the way that he gets out of the yips, is he doesn't focus on his life, his abilities, his worship-leading skills, his fastball, the great moments in his career, the great moments even in his personal life. He shifts completely his thought onto God and what God has done in history. This, if you underline things in your Bible, this would be the thing to underline. Notice that shift from an internal focus to the external focus on God. You, your work, your ways. And what does he focus on? He focuses on specific things about God. Number one, he focuses on God's power. God does incredible things in this world. Praise God. I can see his hand at work in history. The other thing he focuses on right there, the second thing, as you look in verse 13, is he focuses on God's holiness. Now, we get tripped up in the word holy, right, because we don't really know what it means. It means set apart, but holiness isn't so much a thing as it is a characteristic, as it is a quality. Uh, it's a quality of God. And what I mean by that is when we say God is 
loving. What we mean is he has holy love. It is far greater than any love you've ever experienced. And every good love you've ever had is a pale comparison of the holy love that God has. God doesn't just have justice. He has holy justice. That's always right. No one has ever been punished eternally in a wrong way. No one has entered heaven without the blood of Christ. God is just. And he has holy justice. And every heart cry for justice in this life is a cry for the holy justice that only God has. God has grace and mercy, but it's of a different kind. It's of a holy kind. He's not just exuding these things. He's the source of these things. Friends, this is why the angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's nothing else like him. Friends, the way that he starts to turn out of the yips and out of the tares, he takes the focus off himself onto the holiness of God. He tries to behold just a glimmer of who God is and of his power. And what is God doing in this world? Look at verse 14. He says, you have made known your might among the peoples. You have delivered your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. What he's saying is, he says, I can see your hand in the deliverance of the people of Israel. You brought us out of Egypt. You brought us to the promised land as an eternal covenant. And you made it so that we would be a testimony to all the peoples. It's not a grammatical error. I know we don't say peoples a lot. But what that means is people groups, nations, people like Ethiopians and Egyptians and Oregonians. It is for people of every nation, tribe, language, and tongue that we would see God delivering the people of Israel as a testimony that there is one God in Zion. You see, Asaph starts to wrap up his life in the bigger story of God. He recovers his spiritual vitality not by limiting God's power to just his personal 60 or 70 or 80 years on this planet, but tying his 60, 70, 80 years on this planet to the story of God. You know, it's interesting that, um, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about nostalgia, you know. Nostalgia is great, except when it's not. You know, nostalgia, that's like what Disney, you know, makes all of its money off of, Right? You get to Disney, and you already have nostalgic desires to return somehow. Nostalgia is that sort of yearning for the past, uh, right? Uh, you know, I said a few weeks ago, nostalgia is what fills in the potholes on memory lane, right? You kind of look back on your past life and make things better. But friends, nostalgia is no match for the yips. It's no match for the terror, you see, what Asaph does is when he looks back at the great deeds of God, he doesn't just look back at his own life or his, even his own testimony. The turn that he makes is he looks at what God has done in salvation history, <laughs> what he has done in the history of redeeming this world, which is where he sort of makes the shift in verse 16 through 20, and he wraps himself up in the story We've seen the yips, the terror, the turn, and now the story. In verse 16 through 20, he describes the exodus of how God delivered a people out of slavery in Egypt, how he uh, demolished the armies and the chariots of Pharaoh, 
how the waters came and collapsed in on Pharaoh, but how his people were guided unseen by God through the Red Sea. Even though no one ever saw God, God was with his people. But friends, what you have to recognize is that Asaph wasn't there for the Exodus. He wasn't alive for that. That happened hundreds of years before his life. And yet what gets him out of the terror of the yips is seeing his life rooted in the story of God and of his deliverance. He sees himself as the descendants of Moses and Aaron. You see, friends, um, if you really want to recover your spiritual vitality, it's not going to be enough to just sing your favorite songs uh, or even think through a few nostalgic antidotes of some spiritual highs that you've had. Uh, You've got to be rooting yourself in the story that God is telling in this world. Uh, You know, Asaph looks back to Moses But you and I, friend, we look back to who Moses was always meant to point us towards. That there was a man who was also called to deliver God's people. Who was also threatened as an infant with the world trying to kill him. We look back to who Moses was always pointing us towards. Someone who would deliver God's people, not from just slavery in Egypt, but what? Slavery to sin. And how would this man do it? Because the thunder and the waters of God's judgment would not fall on God's people or God's enemies. The thunder and the power of God's judgment would fall on him. And he would offer forgiveness. The cleansing of the record of debt, not just for the people of Israel, but for the Egyptians and the Ethiopians. And yes, even us Oregonians. You see, friends, the way you pull yourself out of the yips is you tie and you genuinely, with all of your heart, see yourself a part of that story. (laughs) Look what God has done for me. He sent his son to die for me. And not only that, his son was raised to life, and now by the power of his Holy Spirit, his spirit dwells within me. And I need to fear nothing else in this world. I can get through the yips. I cry aloud to God. I can take postures of prayer that I'm comfortable with. Friend, I love nostalgia. I do. I really do. I'm very nostalgic. Uh, But friends, use, use your nostalgia not to drive you back to memory lane Use your nostalgia to drive you to the road to Calvary. Uh, friends, you know, Rick Ann Keel never did pitch again in the majors. Uh, years went by. Most people had given up on Rick Ann Keel, right? But something surprising happened. You know what it is? Uh, he let go of the nostalgia of his past life. You know, he tried all of the rote tools of pitching exercises. They didn't help. You know what he did? He developed a new muscle and some new muscle memory. Rick and Keel learned to play outfield. And a few years later, Rick and Keel really did march out on the field at Bush Stadium to play for the Cardinals. And he played for about six seasons in the major leagues 
but not as a pitcher anymore, but as an outfielder. Now, friends, the way out of the yips, out of the terror, is you've got to make the turn to see yourself in the story of God. Friends, if you want your spiritual vitality back, it's not going to be in pitching exercises. You've got to develop new muscle memory. You've got to root yourself in the gospel story. Now, friends, that's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for corporate worship. And Father, I pray for all of us that we would genuinely recover by the power of your Holy Spirit, the spiritual vitality that's rooted not just in our experience, but in the power of the gospel of grace that saves even us. Lord, we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. But here's our heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.